One town, the bottom, ironically set in the hills of Ohio. It's a place where blacks have been swept by the wealthy valley below and the whites who reliably rub away their progress and hope. Among its many characters, two women are coming of age in the bottom. One lives a life rooted in permanence and stability. The other is a moving storm, wild and destructive. Two opposites living as one. They are inseparable until a single act of betrayal changes their world forever. One of the women is Nell. The other Sula, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. of Lit Society. This is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to a show about books and drama. Lots of drama. Uh, Lots of drama. How you been, girl? What's up? I'm doing good. How about you? (laughs) Nothing much. (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch the Oscars? I did not. On Sunday? You didn't? No, I usually just check out social media next day to go for looks and find out who won. Yeah, I can't even tell you the last time I went to see a movie, so I wouldn't even know what to look for. Oh, wow. You know, I saw the um, Harriet Tubman movie. Oh, did you enjoy it? I did. I enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. Is it Harriet Tubman? Yeah, Harriet. Um, the lead actress from that wore a beautiful dress. I did see the outfits. Regina King looked amazing. She has my gold body. She always looks amazing. Yes. Uh, and that pink on that brown skin just popping. Yeah. She always does. Muscles. Amazing. Strength. Beauty. Mm-hmm. You could see her cuts. Yeah. yeah. She looked great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Like royalty. She always does. She does. She always does. She's on 227. That's where I remember her from. I fell in love with her when I first watched her there. I like to see childhood actors grow up and like be sane. Yeah. (laughs) You know what else? Um, I heard that the hair love video. Did you watch that? mm -mm. But I've heard about it. Such a cute video. It turns out that they won. I'm pretty sure I saw that they won. Oh, great. For some animation short. Yep. And a short animation. I'm going to watch that today. Yeah. It's very cute. Cool. All right. Well, if you have nothing else, I do not. I pass. Well, let's dive in. Okay. So each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And the theme this week is friendship. Oh, Oh. you knew this, right? I think so. Okay. I try not to pay attention to stuff you be sending me. (laughs) Wow. I feel like personal attacks. So I ignore them. (laughs) But yeah, I think I saw this. Okay. So friendship. Please some people proceed. feel some people feel more comfortable in social settings than they do alone. For some, it's the opposite. Some prefer to spend as much time alone as possible. Um, but both types of people can enjoy the benefits that a true friendship brings. Um, so I'm going to ask everyone to do this. Uh oh. Don't close your eyes, but think of one person you consider to be a true friend. Think really. Think about why you're drawn to this person. They may not follow you on social media. They may not even live in your city. Or like your pics on social media. Yeah. Like that. Maybe Maybe the person you're thinking of hasn't spoken to you in, uh, in person for years. Maybe you're thinking of your dad, your sister, your brother, your wife, your husband, your mom. Maybe you can't think of anyone. In your opinion, Alexis, what's the purpose of friendship? What are friendships for? Oh, that's a good question. So let me say, I feel like when my daughter was growing up, I thought it was so important for her to have a friend. Mm -hmm. I like 
made it my goal to kind of find her people, young children to kind of connect her with. Yeah. That was so important to me because I felt like you need someone to talk to. Sometimes it's in your age group age group mm-hmm. or um they could be outside but I felt like she needed that she yeah. needed someone outside of her mom you need someone to talk to and when you were looking for friends for like play dates and things what mm-hmm. did you look for in friends for your daughter well at that time I was looking simply on age and then oh, okay. I talked um about their parents yeah so you were looking at their parents how they were mm-hmm. raised mm-hmm. yeah okay I was thinking about this question and as it applies to human interactions and anthropology, friendship has always been a relationship that has existed and it doesn't necessarily serve the needs of a society, whereas like marriage and families help society grow traditionally. Friendship is just like this fluffy thing that's for our enjoyment. It's a bonus relationship. And personal growth, but animals also enjoy it. I love those shows when like a deer befriends a dog in the yard and they like hang out together. Or a dog and a cat. Or a dog and a cat. Yeah. Oh, I follow so many Instagram accounts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is dogs and cats kicking it. Yeah, I love that. And it's something about these friends that are from two separate worlds that have drawn together. I mean, I'm reading into it. These are just animals, but it makes me think about human nature and how we can be drawn to someone who seemingly shouldn't, we shouldn't be connected to, but we are connected to that person. And that's why friendship is like so beautiful because it's something you can't even explain. It just develops. Like you ever meet someone and thought, oh, you, you going to be my friend. <laughs> I have, but yeah. what about when you say that and they don't be your friend? That, that maybe happens, especially like when you're younger. Do you think that happens at an older age? I feel like it happened to me maybe a couple <laughs> years ago. Maybe they we saw you not. have fit your, your friend quota like, oh, she got a million friends. She don't need one more. No, I wanted so to why be didn't you, friend. So why didn't you become friends? I didn't reach out. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I didn't reach out, but I I could just see us being really great friends. But you, and yet, <laughs> okay, okay. Another question for you. It did happen though. Yeah, but you didn't reach out. Maybe you can pick that up again. I think it's opportunity is always there. I just oh, have I love to it. So make it time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about a friend that you and I share that you've been trying to steal from me. <laughs> And I met her when I was volunteering uh, in another country Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even her country. (laughs) She was also she was also volunteering in that country. And I just love her to pieces. And I may not talk to her um, every month. I know she listens to this show. Oh, Phoebe, we love you. We love you. (laughs) But I like um, her a lot. Yeah, I don't know. It's something about seeing someone that sees you and talking to someone that you don't need to explain every little thing to. It's an acceptance that's there. So what makes a true friendship? I think a true friend is someone that listens to you. Yeah. Uh, Listen without expectation. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's important for me when I think about the friendships that I need. I need someone to listen without expectation. And just when I call, just be available. And I and I like to do that same thing for my other friends. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like to be there for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone that feels some responsibility toward you. Yeah, they want to share things and I want to share things. And, and that's but so, so we can have people in our lives that it's fun to hang out with. Mm-hmm. But you might not put them in the box that you put your close friends. Right. And it's not even um, a bad thing. It's just some people are good in your life for different things. Maybe some, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandmother said that. She told me, you may not have one friend for everything. Mm-hmm. You're going to have multiple friends. How can you? How can one person values? be great at, you know, shooting the breeze when you want to just have a good time? And that same person give you great advice. That same person give you great advice when it comes to your spiritual health, your physical health, your financial health. How can one person fill all of those? I mean, I think think there's a person out there that can do that um, for you. I think there is, but I do still think, but that may not be the same person you travel with. Oh, see. Okay. 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 So they can do all of those things, but you may not want to sleep in the whole same hotel room. Yeah, with them. that's true. You may not want to be in the yeah. streets with them, mm-hmm. you know, just hanging out. They could just be really good for that building up that you need in life. Mm-hmm. As a tangent, I do think sometimes with marriage mates, I've made it a point not to expect my husband to fulfill every need I have in life. I don't even think that's fair to put on a person. So if I'm sad, I don't necessarily come home and expect my husband go make me happy. <laughs> well, I think that's go hard say to... the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I will say that as a newlywed, I kind of expected that. But then you learn and you realize that that's not the right thing to do. That's like and it's putting not fair. All your stuff on somebody. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Them carry all these bags. Out. OK, that's not fair. Mm-mm. That's not that's not even fair for your friends. So it's and certainly... I would never do it to my friends. But so why so would, why you, would do you do it to, to your, your mate? It's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. Another thing about true friendship, has a friend ever given you some counsel or advice, which takes courage? It's hard to tell someone, hey, I think you're wrong. Yeah, I can think of a time when one of your sisters actually gave me some really good. I mean, of the many times I've gotten good advice from members of your family. (laughs) (laughs) This one particular time, it was like a bomb on my heart, like a soothing bomb. And it was corrective. But it felt good. It's good to be corrected by someone who loves you because it's a diff. It can be a difficult conversation to have. Um, but even more so, if you don't care about somebody, you just be like, well, I just ain't going to hang out with them because you just drop. I don't em. like the decisions they make. You just drop. them. But when mm-hmm. you love someone and feel responsibility for them, you don't drop them. Right. right you don't. You try to help. And, you know, as much as you can. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I thought about this scenario. She reached out to me and she she knew that I was having some issues. And she said to me, you need to take the steps to get the help you need. Yeah. And I was fighting it. Mm-hmm. But what she said is true. Yeah. And so I had to deal with that. So and it yeah. came from someone who loves you. And it came from someone who loves me. And when people see your faults and like stick around and still love you, mm-hmm. you know, that's just oh, that's a good place to be in. Isn't there an expression about friends? You can't pick your you can't pick your family, but you can pick your yeah. friends or your friends choose you. Mm-hmm. I love that because your friends are like family. You choose. Yeah, I love that. Me too. Um, have you ever felt like you didn't have enough friends? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm maybe kind of lonely. So I think of that when I go back to my youth. Yeah. I feel like my mom had a really good friend. Uh-huh. And because of that, that made me long for friendship. Yeah. I got that because I saw her relationship with same, her friend. Same with me. Yeah. I was like, I want one of that, mm-hmm. one of those. And I never had it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. You know, when I got my first real friend, tell me when I was in my twenties mm-hmm. and I was constantly longing for friendship, I would have these friendships with people and I would be like, Oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And then something happened. 
mm-hmm. I'd have another one. This is going to be it. This is going to be it. And then something would happen. And yeah. So I was, it's not that it was difficult making friends. Mm-hmm. They just didn't stay. And it would be something. And I don't know what it, I never knew what it was. And then sometimes me. the people that, <laughs> hey, sometimes the people that like stick around are not the ones you want to, you want for the particular friendship you you might be looking for at the time, if that makes sense. Right. And then I know for a fact, one of my friendships absolutely changed because our paths diverged. See, yeah, that happened. And that was necessary. I too can remember um, times in my like youth when I was like, ah, and I'm an only child. So I felt like, you know, although I was probably at your house every day, I felt <laughs> like I need more friends and I want friends and I want to have a relationship like yeah like my mom like has my mom like has. a sister that you choose mm-hmm. I was actually fine being an only child but you still <laughs> you want to choose no sisters friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I feel like friend making has gotten a lot easier the older I've gotten which is really? weird yeah like for example um you and I have a group of friends that we can just call and like hang out with sure, that's sure. so cool yeah and I feel like this is a group that could give me good advice. This is a group that I could talk freely with. I, I have trust there. That's what I yeah. want to say. These, these are women that I trust. So when you were looking for a true friend and you found this true friend in your 20s, mm-hmm. how did that come about? How can how can a person find good friends? When I wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, this person approached me. And she would like to think that I was kind of put offish. <laughs> okay. Um, but I wouldn't say that. I was just being, you know. And you had never had a friend before. <laughs> Not one last You didn't know thing. what the behavior protocol was. <laughs> and to this day, we are still friends. I oh, really I love, love her. Um, so, yeah, when you, you make a good point. When you weren't looking, when you were living your life. Um, and I'll add to that. Like the friend that I was talking about that we both share who lives out of the country. I met her when I was pursuing goals and doing something that was I was passionate about. Right. And I met someone who shared that passion. And, you know, we're still friends. So. Yeah. Um, I, mm-hmm. And I met that same friend at your wedding reception. Oh, see. No, your wedding. And um, we just had a connection. I think we were the older ones in the group. But (laughs) we were. So when you see someone and you just bond with them, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Can I tell another quick story? Of course. Um, One time I was getting to know a new friend. Yeah. Just happened. We bonded over natural hair. Uh Uh-huh. And (laughs) so I can tell you that Tumblr was popping at the moment. This was the aughts. Y'all was both in the Shea Butter line and was like, have you heard of African? And at the same time, he was like, black soap. Hey, girl. (laughs) Anyway. This was a moment. I remember. Mm, No. Tracking your growth. Transitioning. Well, she was transitioning. I was had been. I knew it. I knew one of y'all was. Okay, go ahead. Someone was transitioning. Go ahead. Well, anyway, when during the same time, I was also becoming. Um, getting to know another woman. So it was a couple of friends um, at one time. So I was getting to know her, but then she tragically died. But I was told that before she died, she made a friend recommendation for me. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Refer a friend. Yes. And so now I have this community of friends 
is like four women that came together after and you her all knew death, her that and we all knew oh, her wow. what a legacy and um it, we're very close that's They're like beautiful the best that is so beautiful mm-hmm Forever. That is stuff that a movie would be based on. <laughs> that is really beautiful. Because she made a selection and it worked. So how has friendship, lastly, uh, benefited you in your life? Oh, my goodness. For encouragement, mm-hmm. um, a building. Um, when you're down, they really lift you up. Yeah. Invaluable gems in mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. Invaluable. I love you, friend. I love you. Let's move on. Oh. (laughs) And we are back. Sula. (laughs) Okay. By Toni Morrison. Alexis. Can you give us some background on Toni Morrison and perhaps her inspiration for her works? Sure. Okay. (laughs) So she was born Chloe Ardelia Wolford in 1931 in Lorraine, Ohio. Okay. To a working class family and an integrated community, Mm -hmm. racially integrated community. In what year? 1931. That sounds scary. Um, She... She's the second of four children. Her parents are George Wolfer and Ella Rama. I think that's her maiden name. But they instilled in her a love and appreciation for black culture, storytelling, songs, folktales. So she really had an appreciation for the black culture, the mm-hmm. black story. She appreciated it. Um, when she was 12, she joined the Roman Catholic Church and took on the baptismal name Anthony. Anthony? Yes. Okay. That's then she became known as Chloe Anthony Wolford and she began calling herself Tony while in college. Okay. I I, I think I read one article that said um her college friends didn't really connect with the Chloe, so oh, she okay. switched to Tony. Okay. So, she completed a bachelor's degree at Howard University mm-hmm. in 53. That I knew. Okay. A master's from Cornell in 55, mm-hmm. and she later taught for Texas Southern University and Howard. And then uh, she married a man named Harold Morrison. He was an architect from Jamaica in 1958. Okay. They actually divorced in 64 when she was pregnant with her second son. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the articles I read said he was looking for the conventional um, wife, wife at home. Mm hmm. And she was barefoot and pregnant. And she was like, oh, I'm Toni Morrison. (laughs) He was like, oh, then I'm gone. (laughs) Yeah. So it didn't work out for them. Mm. So in the 60s, she moved to New York and she started working for Random House as a fiction editor. And in that role, she was able to bring black literature into the mainstream. Uh, Love it. She taught writing at State University of New York. And she joined the faculty of Princeton University, where she taught courses in humanities african-american studies and she retired from there in 2006 okay she earned many awards including a nobel prize for literature and a pulitzer prize she's noted for um in her works with an examination of um the black female and their experience within the black community Mm -hmm. her first book was the bluest eye 
and that was published in 1970. I've not read that. You haven't read The Bluest Eye? No. Oh my goodness. Her second novel is the one that we're um, reviewing today. Oh, and that's her baby. Mm, no. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, it was published in 1974, but she actually began writing it in 1969 during a period of political activism. As you uh, know, that's kind of the height of uh, civil rights movement. Sure. Or kind of in that time period. Okay. And um, she said it took her three months to write the first four pages of this. Book. Of Sula? Yeah. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Um, one thing I found of interest is that her book, uh, Song of Solomon, yeah, was the first book of Oprah's book club. Oh, ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. And she actually wrote an opera. What? Yeah, she were, um, they called it the libretto. Uh-huh. So just the kind of the words of. Um, and it was based on Margaret Garner, who was the, the focus in Beloved. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And so she died in August, August 5th of 2019 from complications of pneumonia. Yeah. She was 88. Wow. Wow, very cool. Well, can you give us a brief synopsis of Sula? With no spoilers. This is going to be brief. I had a challenge <laughs> writing this, but I'm going to give you a couple sentences. Okay. <laughs> the bottom is a black community in the hills of Medallion, Ohio. The bottom is where we watch Nell and Sula become fast friends from different worlds and make decisions that alter their friendship. Period. <laughs> Love it. Kari. Yeah. I know you've read this book before, but reading it again. Yeah. What were your first impressions? I don't want to do this. I'm scared. So uh, Toni Morrison is like one of my favorite authors. And that sounds so cliche, but it's true. And she's also an author whose work I never am picking up enthusiastically. Why? It's like uh, vegetables. I'm, I'm never like, well, although I'm like, really into kale right now like a (laughs) basic but I just always know there's going to be some gem in the book that will haunt me for the rest of my life wow and I was very clear on what those little nuggets were in Sula and I was terrified to um they're not gems they're landmines and I'm very (laughs) scared to step on them oh wow and when I come to them I'm like oh maybe I can work around it but you can't because the words are so brilliant it's not even that it's so beautiful the way she uses language boggles my mind the level um that on the level that tony morrison writes Mm. so anyway uh my first thoughts well here we go i guess we're doing it i guess (laughs) we're reading sula for the second or third time (laughs) hope i make it (laughs) what were your first thoughts well I got to say, I haven't read a lot of um, great literary works by African-Americans. So oh, this, wow. I got to say, not that I've not read books by black writers, but Toni Morrison is considered one of the greats, right? Writers, period, of any race. But yeah. Right. One of the greats. Right. So I remember I, being in a freshman class at Marquette and they're going, yeah, I love the way Tony uses his words to describe, his. you know, black life. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so I was just so excited to read this first work, essentially. Oh, um, first for you. Yeah. For, yeah. First for me. 
of um, a great literary writer. Was it an easy read for you? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The words were simple enough for me to yeah. read. So I didn't have that struggle. I was just, I don't know, but I did feel some type of way. So yeah. for that second part. You know, Tony reminds me of a truly good cook. Really good cooks don't need the most elaborate ingredients. They can take these simple ingredients and make something fantastic. And that's Tony when it comes to language. She doesn't need to impress you with her vocabulary. She can take words that we use in everyday life and cook them into some new dish that you've never had before. Yeah, that was actually one of the things I read as I was researching a bio about her. Yeah. Is she said that she said it's not necessary to mm-hmm. do that when you can just tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so that that was good for me. I like a pretty easy read. Well, the time has come. Oh, my goodness. Pressure is real. Are you ready to throw in some spoilers in your dish and give us a summary, a deep dive? I think I am. Into Sula. All right. Let me get my tea in my blanket. I'm going to just go lay down in this corner. You know you don't know how to lay down. Stop (laughs) it. Don't even get started with that. I love it. (laughs) Go. (laughs) Part one, the bottom is up. Oh, that's good, girl. I really am trying. It's a struggle. Bottoms up. I am not a writer. (laughs) The bottom is an all-black neighborhood in the hills above an all-white town in Medallion, Ohio. It received his name because a slave owner. So he promised the slave owner promised the slave that if he did this some difficult work, that he would give him freedom and land. So the freedom, I guess that was easy, but the land he didn't really want to give. So he gave him this land in the hills and he told him that the land in the hills was the bottom, the bottom land, rich and fertile. High above us, but when God looks down on it, it's the bottom. That's what he said. So that God put still, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. It was the first land that God saw when He looked down. So it must be desirable. The it's backbreaking work to do work on the hill, mm-hmm. um, kind of fertilize your ground, and then the soil slid down and washed away the seeds, and the wind lingered in the winter. So it was a tough situation, but. White people lived on the floor and black people uh, populated the hills above. And so the bottom, which is called the bottom. And so, okay, so let's um, begin our story with Shadrach. Um, Shadrach is described as a a young man who's handsome. Yeah. And then he goes off to the war. Right. This is a young boy that's full of potential, endless opportunities in front of him. He has a healthy ambition, but he goes off to war and is changed in irreversible way yeah the day was cold enough to make his breath visible and he wondered for a moment at the purity and whiteness of his own breath among the dirty gray explosions surrounding him he ran bayonet fixed deep in the great sweep of men flying across this field wincing at the pain in his foot he turned his head a little to the right and saw the face of a soldier near him fly off. Before he could register shock, the rest of the soldier's head disappeared under the inverted soup bowl of his helmet. 
But stubbornly, taking no direction from the brain, the body of the headless soldier ran on with energy and grace, ignoring altogether the drip and slide of brain tissue down its back. So, ew. Yeah, Shade Jack from here is like shell shock and he has severe post-traumatic stress. Understandably. Mm -hmm. From his experience in this war. And after this, he awakens, and I'm not sure the time period in this, but he awakens in a hospital. So he wakes up a year later. He does. I know he's released from the hospital a year later, but I don't know how long after he wakes up. You're right. So he's in this hospital for about a year and he can only recollect a few months of that, mm-hmm. like the last three months. Yep, just a short time period. And the scene where we pick him up is he's waking up and he's notices his hands and it look like they're growing mm-hmm. and that kind of freaks him out. And Yeah, his hands are becoming monstrous and spreading yeah. everywhere. And so he tucks them under his like legs yeah. in the bed, in the hospital bed. And so there's a, a nurse and the nurse wants him to eat. And he's like, he's got to look at his hands. So he doesn't want to have this experience. So he kind of tried to force him to eat. And so he kind of flips out and they put him in a stray jacket. And he's found comfort in this stray jacket because he doesn't have to look at his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so whew, that was uh, really rough. But So there's no, um, I think the phrase is like magical realism going on here. You are oh. to understand that his hands are not actually growing. Right. This is all part of his mind breaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when he's released, he's put out in, a, in an environment that he's truly unfamiliar with. He's hasn't acclimated to it. So he's overcome with emotion and is found on the curb crying um, by the police. And they arrest him for vagrancy and intoxication. Mm-hmm. When he gets back to a medallion, as a way to cope with the terror of dying and death or the unexpectedness of it. Yeah. He um, comes up with a holiday and it's called national suicide day. Mm -hmm. And it's one day a year that people are, um, he walks down the street, ringing a bell with a noose, (laughs) holding a noose and a bell saying, Hey, Hey, it's time. Everybody get your stuff. Anybody who wants to get your stuff because this is the only day you can do it. Yeah. So he felt like if you have this one day a year that you could devote yourself to, if you want to murder yourself, kill yourself, go ahead and do it. And then the rest of the year you could be safe and free. So this is your opportunity to do that. So that is shade drag. But so initially it's just like him celebrating it himself, you know, or having that parade that he goes through town with. But eventually it just comes becomes a part of the fabric of the society, if you will. Yeah, of bottom. Yeah. They know when the day comes around and, you know, some kids are terrified. Some adults are terrified, understandably so. Because Shadrach is also an imposing presence. He's a large man, as in tall. And he's screaming to tell people to kill themselves this day. Yeah. So they either shut themselves in their homes or run away from him on site. So that's Shade Drag. So part two, conservative views. <laughs> I'm scared. Okay, go ahead. Now, okay. So in the bottom, we meet Helene Wright. She oh, yeah. is the daughter of Rochelle. As she's described, Rochelle is described as a Creole whore from New Orleans. 
So Helene was raised by her religious grandmother, Cecil. Um, so Cecil really wanted um, Helene to be separated. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. She didn't want her to go down the same path her mother did. And she did everything in her power to stop that. And what she saw was an opportunity was her marrying uh, Wiley Wright. And this is her great nephew who lived in Ohio. So she marries Wiley at 16 years old. And Wiley is a a lakeman, a ship's cook. Mm-hmm. And so he's away most days of the month. Right. He's only home like three days. Otherwise, he's in port. And so he has this lovely house in Ohio. Uh, Helene in goes the bottom. there. In the bottom, yeah. yeah. And goes and uh, lives there with her husband, of course. Excuse me, of course, who's gone, as I mentioned. After nine years of marriage, she has a daughter by the name of Nell. And her daughter seems to give her comfort and purpose. Yeah. Uh, she, Helene becomes a member of this conservative church there. And so she's really, again, focused on making her daughter perfect. Yeah. I guess, for lack of she a She wants her word. to be a quote unquote, like good Negro. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. a, a more refined nose. Um, oh, yeah. The thing with the nose. She had <laughs> uh-huh. her holding her nose. Like, Don't you want a, a good nose? nose? A good mm-hmm. nose. Yeah. So she made sure her daughter was obedient and, and polite. And she kind of squashed any effort for um, imagination <laughs> to have any adventure in her life. Yeah. She kind of put a squash the kibosh on that. Helene is glad to be away from New Orleans, but then she suddenly she gets the call that her grandmother is sick. Mm-hmm. So she has to go back to New Orleans and she doesn't really want to go. She's got mixed emotions, but she's also appreciative that her grandmother kind of saved her from that whatever life. I feel like her grandmother went into the whorehouse to get the baby and brought her home. Ooh. That's kind of how I was reading it. Well, she was trying so she to was save her. she was grateful that she saved her from a mm-hmm. life of sin. Yep, she was. So uh, in preparation for this, she's hoping because she's traveling south that um, if she makes herself a beautiful dress, uh, her manners and her bearing will be her best protection against white people. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Her first air, her first instant comes when she jumped boards the train. She in gets the in the car. wrong car. So yeah. she's in the white car and the conductor kind of snaps on her. Mm-hmm. And um, she smiles after he does that. Um, so Helene jumps on the white car accidentally walks back with her child to the black car with luggage in hand enters the black car there's a white conductor there and he goes you know what you doing why are you coming from the white car she goes it was a mistake he gives her a hard time disrespects her and she smiles at him like a puppy waiting for a treat and she may not even have known why she did it but to the eyes of the black people in the black Watching, car that yep. she's now in and especially the black men it's like um, just so disgusting that they hate her with their eyes yeah. and they shoot daggers at her. And young Nell sees this. She's actually 10 years old at yeah. the time. So she notices um, what happens with that interaction with her mom. She, in this car, this train car, she's, you know, they have to make stops. And she's like, is there a bathroom mm-hmm. that we can go to? But there is no toilets for the colored at that time. 
So she is forced to go in the field. Yeah. Um, yeah, her mom looked at herself in a certain light. Mm-hmm. And so this was demeaning. This yeah. would be demeaning for anyone. For anyone. And the conductors are like kind of looking at them to pee in the grass. So oh, I didn't catch that. It's part. degrading. It is. It's degrading. By the time she arrives at her grandmother's home, she's her grandmother has already died and she sees her mother there for the first time in a long time. And Nell actually sees her grandmother for the first time. And she she kind of gets a different view where she was living this structured life. She now sees this woman in this beautiful yellow dress. Yeah, Nell has been living a life that's very black and white and her uh, Creole whore grandmother is color. Yeah. She speaks with color. She does. She even is like wearing makeup. Yeah. Yeah. So the trip to New Orleans seems to kind of energize Nell she peed out the doors. She met her grandmother. She has lived. <laughs> she feels like she has truly lived. Nell sat on the red velvet sofa, listening to her mother, but remembering the smell and the tight, tight hug of the woman in yellow who rubbed burned matches over her eyes. Late that night, after the fire was made, the cold supper eaten, the surface dust removed, Nell lay in bed thinking of her trip. She remembered clearly the urine running down and into her stockings until she learned how to squat properly. The disgust on the face of the woman and the sound of the funeral drums. It had been an exhilarating trip, but a fearful one. She had been frightened of the soldier's eyes on the train, the black wreath on the door, the custard pudding she believed lurked under her mother's heavy dress the feel of unknown streets and unknown people. But she had gone on a real trip, and now she was different. She got out of bed and lit the lamp to look in the mirror. There was her face, plain brown eyes, three braids, and the nose her mother hated. She looked for a long time, and suddenly a shiver ran through her. I'm me, she whispered. Me. Nell didn't quite know what she meant, but on the other hand, she knew exactly what she meant. I'm me. I'm not their daughter. I'm not Nell. I'm me. Me. Each time she said the word me, there was a gathering in her like power, like joy, like fear. Back in bed with her discovery, she stared out the window at the dark leaves of the horse chestnut. Me, she murmured. And then... Seeking deeper into the quilt, I want, I want to be wonderful. Oh, Jesus, make me wonderful. It seems that she's kind of bucked against her mother's conservative and conventional values with this experience. And she's like, all right, my life is going to be different. I am going to be the first one out of medallion, the first chance I get. This Experience also gives Nell the courage to befriend Sula in spite of her mother's um, wishes because her mother felt like Sula's um, mother was kind of trash. She's a trash woman, essentially. But Helene just quickly, and it seems that Sula doesn't have the same manner as her mother for the first few visits. So she kind of allows that relationship to to continue on. Yeah. And both girls are incredibly lonely. So Nell doesn't have a mother that's really trying to get to know her. Her mother's trying to make her make her. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And nothing about Nell is okay. It all has to be improved upon. Yeah. So that's a very lonely way for a child to grow up. Her and Sula become fast friends because they share that loneliness, that type of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And they're they're each providing some aspect of their personality that they don't naturally have. So whereas Nell is very reserved, Sula is the opposite. So um, when Nell goes to Sula's home, she prefers this environment to her mother's, which is referred to as oppressive neatness. Part three, Sula Peace survival. Sula is the granddaughter of Eva Peace. Eva was married to Boy Boy. (laughs) And had three children, Hannah, the oldest, Eva, also known as Pearl, and then Ralph, known as Plum. So she has one son. After five years of marriage, Boy Boy leaves the family, abandons the family. And the neighbors help out for a while. But Eva realized that the neighbors help can't last forever. And they're poor, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so one time Plum, that's the son, is having He's difficulty having bowel movements. He's not having them. He's a baby and he's constipated. So yeah. he's cr- shrieking, crying. Yeah. And so all the time she uses lard to kind of uh, lubricate her f- fingers and dig out the compacted stool. She is really saving her child's life because, you know, backed up mm-hmm. stools can actually kill you. So realizing <laughs> she needed Sorry. a different way I'm to five. provide for her, her children. She dropped her children off at a neighbor's home. I think the neighbor's name is Mrs. Gruggs. And she says she'll be back tomorrow. But it turns out she doesn't come back for 18 months later. And when she comes back, she's on crutches and has one leg. One leg. One leg. So Eva begins to, um, when she comes back, she kind of builds up a house. She leaves the house that she was living in and rents that out. And then she kind of builds this house up. Um, closer to the road Mm -hmm. and she takes in borders. She kind of adopts some children who she renames the Deweys. Mm -hmm. And then she takes in this maybe a mixed race man, but he looks white and Eva believes he's white and they call him Tar Baby. (laughs) As an ironic joke. Yeah, he is an alcoholic. With a beautiful singing voice. Okay, so Pearl, um, which is her second child, ends up marrying at 14 and moving to Flint, Michigan. Hannah, marries a man who died when their daughter was three. And after his death, Hannah becomes promiscuous. And then Plum goes off to the war in mm-hmm. 1917. Eva hoped uh, to give all she had to Plum. But after the war, Plum doesn't come right home. And instead, he seems to travel and he's in New York and D.C. and Chicago, and he's full of promises to come home, but he actually, he doesn't return. So it's obvious that something is wrong. And when Plum finally does come home, he looks as if he hadn't had a head haircut in months or combed his hair in months, among some other things. He just doesn't look well. Right. He ends up stealing from the family. He's taking trips to Cincinnati. He sleeps, he's in his room, sleep for days. He's gotten thinner. And we learn that he's a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. And one night, Eva goes to her son's room. After holding him in her arms, she goes to the kitchen. I'm going, Plum, she said. She shifted her weight and pulled her crutches toward her. Swinging and swooping, she left his room. She dragged herself to the kitchen and made grating noises. 
plum on the rim of a warm, light sleep was still chuckling. Mama, she sure was something. He felt twilight. Now there seemed to be some kind of wet light traveling over his legs and stomach with a deeply attractive smell. It wound itself, this wet light, all about him, splashing and running into his skin. He opened his eyes and saw what he imagined was the great wing of an eagle pouring a wet lightness over him. Some kind of baptism, some kind of blessing, he thought. Everything is going to be all right, it said. Knowing that it was so, he closed his eyes and sank back into the bright hole of sleep. Eva stepped back from the bed and let the crutches rest under her arms. She rolled a bit of the newspaper into a tight stick about six inches long, lit it, and threw it onto the bed where the kerosene-soaked plum lay in snug delight. Part 4. Friendship. Nell and Sula's friendship kind of blossoms once Nell was harassed on the way home from school by some Irish boys. Yeah. And this prompted the girls to kind of take a longer ride routes home to avoid the boys. Right. Uh, one day, Sula decides, let's take the shortest route home. She knows that they're going to cross paths with this Billy. But as they approach, Sula puts her things down. And I'm not really sure what happens because the way I read it, she accidentally cut her fingers off. So it says, um, holding, so she puts down her things, as you said, holding the knife in her right hand. She pulled the slate toward her and slates were like what they used as notebooks back then and pressed her left forefinger down on its edge, on the slate's edge. Her aim was determined, but inaccurate. She, she slashed off only the tip of her finger. The four boys stared open mouth at the wound and the scrape of flesh, like a button mushroom curling in the cherry blood that ran into the corners of the slate. And then Sula tells them, if I can do that to myself, what you suppose I'll do to you? So from this, the boys are like, scared oh we good oh you crazy crazy uh -huh. <laughs> and they kind of run away and Sula is doing this to prove her devotion to her friend but it repulses now she mm. sees it as madness their friendship remains intact and when summer comes they're all about being mischievous <laughs> Sula runs from home one day to go to the bathroom and she overhears her mother say that she loves her, but she doesn't like her. And that really does affect Sula at this tender age. I think they're still 12 at this point. Something inside her changes when she hear, hears her own yeah. mother admit that she doesn't like her. Later that same day, while they're playing in the grass, Sula and Nell, and a young boy, and they call him Chicken Little, he comes over and Nell is kind of teasing him. Sula stands up for him. And eventually she shows him how to climb up the tree. Right. So this part is really crucial because Sula has just heard her mom say that she doesn't like her. Yeah. Out of this sadness that it throws her into, Nell is down. So Sula's in the house and she looks out the window and sees Nell. So she runs downstairs to play with Nell, who yeah. is now the only person who likes her in yeah. her whole life. Ooh, friendship. Okay her only friend when chicken little comes 
Sula helps him climb the tree and he goes, um, I don't want to come down. And she's like, okay, stay up there then. And he's like, no, no, I want to come down. And so she helps him down. Mm -hmm. It's this like almost um, she is kind of being for Chicken Little, the big sister or like a nurturer. So when she's playing with him, this is a side of Sula we've never seen where she's like opening herself up to this nurturing um, nature. (laughs) And in that moment, she becomes death for this little boy. So he slips from her fingers, swallowed by the water, and they think Shadrach sees. Yeah. So now thinks um, Shadrach has wit- witnessed this action. And though afraid, she heads over to his house to see if he saw it. Um, he shows up. And as she begins to ask him if he saw it, he says in a pleasant conversational tone, always. It's one word. That's all he says to her. Yeah. So she kind of runs away after that. She doesn't say anything. She runs away and her. Um, and when she gets back to Nell, Nell kind of reassures her. It's not your fault. Um, and they never tell anybody. Mm-hmm. The boy is found later that afternoon. This is interesting because Nell is very dismissive of the whole thing. Very dismissive. She was there and she's like, you know, you didn't mean to do it. Let's go. Okay. Hannah which is Sula's mom is about to light a fire in the yard. And Eva, the mother of Hannah is up in upstairs in her room. Mm -hmm. So this is Sula's grandmother. Yeah. Sula's grandmother. And she sees her about to light this fire, but she's looking for, I think a brush or a comb and she's distracted by that. And then the next time she goes to the window, she notices that her daughter is on fire. So she jumps out the window to try to put her body on her daughter, which is the second floor. So she jumps out from the second floor, smashes the window, falls to the ground. And her whole goal is to at least throw herself on her daughter to put out the fire. Yeah, but that doesn't work. She ends up falling in some bushes and her daughter kind of runs away, trying, of course, trying to get the fire out. Somebody else and making it the fire, the flames worse. Yeah. Stronger. Another family kind of douses her. With water. When they douse Hannah with water yeah. to put out the fire, there is a look on her face of pain and distort. It's a distorted look. Yeah. She is burnt into leather. Yeah. Um, as they are loading her into the ambulance, they remember that they saw Eva throw herself from the window and they load Eva into the ambulance oh, as well. That's right. I forgot about that. So the daughter, Hannah, dies, who is Sula's mom, dies on the way there. Eva eventually, um, you know, is healed um, and returns home. Eva is telling people when she threw herself from that window to save Hannah, she saw something. She saw Sula watching. And people say, well, that's reasonable because she was probably in shock at yeah. seeing her mother burnt alive. And she said, no, but Eva, she was res- Eva agrees. But in her heart, reserves that uh no Sula was just interested mm-hmm. yeah oh that is a lot so when Nell is um by the time she's 16 and she you know as we talked about earlier she had made some decisions she was ready to leave this town first chance she's, yeah but spread some wings and yeah but learn about life yeah at the age of 16 she ends up marrying Jude Green and this guy, he kind of chooses marriage because it's his only option. 
because to be could, somebody to be like feel like a man. Yeah. He wasn't able to get the kind of job he wanted at the time. I think he was working in a restaurant and he didn't feel like that. He wanted manly work, quote unquote. So he wanted manliness. to work on the road yeah. for the town, but white people would not allow him to work on the road. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, cr- it cr- that experience crushed him in a way where he thought the only way I can be a man is to have a wife to go home to every day. Right. So they have an elaborate ceremony and I believe Sula helps with this plan. Oh yeah. Planning on the wedding. And after that, she leaves bottom for college and doesn't return for 10 years. Yep. So part four, return to the bottom. Sula returns to the bottom kind of with a vengeance. And <laughs> it seems um, kind of in an antagonistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be a battle of the wills with her and Eva. Eva starts criticizing Sula right away for being unmarried. And Sue kind of spits it right back at her. She's like, I don't have time for the You jokes. don't have a man either. Yep. Yep. My mother didn't have a man. Don't talk back because then you won't live long on this earth. Well, my mama didn't talk back and she did. So, yeah, so she is just really kind of pushing the envelope with her, her grandmother. But Eva tells, uh, Sula tells Eva, just because you cut off your leg for insurance don't mean you get to run everyone's lives. Who told you I cut off my leg for insurance? She immediately took offense to that. Yeah. She immediately took offense to that. But it seems to be true. Mm-hmm. That's the story in the streets. <laughs> um, she takes offense and calls Sula's behavior and talk disrespectful. Sula accuses Eva of killing Plum. That, that's her son. That's uh, Which she Eva's did son. indeed burn alive. She did. Eva accuses Sula of watching her mother die. Mm-hmm. Sula threatens to burn Eva, <laughs> but instead takes guardianship of her and moves her into a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Sula then visits Nell and they catch up like old time. Later, Jude and Sula get together and Jude leaves his family, leaving Nell alone to care for the children. So Sula comes back to Nell after 10 years and sleeps with her husband. Mm-hmm. The hus- she ca- Nell catches Sula and her husband in the act. The husband gets up and says, I'll be back for my things. And he leaves his wife and his three children. Whew. So once the word got out that Eva is in a nursing home, the community of the bottom starts to look at Sula as evil. As a roach. <laughs> they did call her a roach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's on this path of loving and leaving men, uh, trying them out and discarding them, all the men in the town. So even though um, Nell's husband left her for Sula, her best friend, Sula doesn't keep him. She ends up discarding him also, and he just becomes a drifter in the world. He doesn't go back to his family. He buys cards for his children that he never sends. Yes. And he's just lost. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, Sula's mom was promiscuous, but she loved men. She craved men. Sula, Sula doesn't does not. feel that way. Mm-mm. She just wants something to do. She, she tells herself that she is not looking for a man. She doesn't want to settle into these roles that right. everyone has chosen. It's conventional roles. And truthfully... Um, sex to her is something so disgusting that it, it it's at least a diversion. It's it's something that gives her pain. And so she mm. seeks it out because it at least makes her feel something. Ooh, 
Ooh, this story is deep. So she's not looking for lovers. She's looking for something to fill this em- emptiness in her. Yeah. So as the town kind of sees Sula again, they've called her evil. They kind of things that happen accidentally they start to put those on her she becomes the scapegoat for everyone yeah this this man saw her coming who's usually out on the porch sucking on chicken bones he saw her coming and he choked and died and they put that all on Sula and they also have a disdain for Sula because they believe that she's had relations with white men Mm -hmm. and And that that is an unforgivable sin but this evilness that they say she has kind of motivates them to take care of their families, to love them a little closer. Yeah, so the wives, because their husbands have been loved on and discarded and their egos broken, the wives <laughs> in the town start loving their husbands even more. So she's like this hanger that carries all their baggage so that they can live their best, most um, honorable lives and hang all their dirt on her. Yeah. Later, though, Sula develops a relationship with a man and where she's getting like really close with him even to the point of possession, she even kind of changed. They said at one point she set up a table, made, put plates out. This immediately repels the fellow. So for the first time, she experienced this kind of loss. I don't know if it was. OK, so I love this part because this is when Sula, to me, is being honest with herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She does really want that. Um, she enjoys this time with this guy. That dependableness that comes with strong relationships and having someone to go home to someone that cares for you, someone that's looking out for you. She wants that kind of permanence that outwardly she seems to disgust. So when she falls for this man named Albert Jackson, she thinks this, she, she naturally falls into this wife-like role with him and it repels him. Now he's called Ajax around town, like the cleaning agent Ajax. So she thinks his name is Ajax. When he leaves, she finds his driver's license and it says Albert Jackson. And she goes, how could he have stayed? How could he have loved a woman who didn't even know his name? Yeah. So eventually Sula is found dying. She's dying. She's on her deathbed. Yeah. On her deathbed and now pays her a visit to offer assistance. You know, there's nobody in the town that's really supporting her in any way. So Nell sees it as like her Christian duty. I'm going to she's not being honest with herself either as to why she's visiting Sula. She's like, I'm going to go visit you because I'm a Christian and you're trash and no one's going to come visit. you. Yeah, this is an opportunity to show her superiority Mm. over Sula. And so she takes moral superiority. Yeah, her moral. Mm -hmm. She takes this opportunity to ask Sula about the trust she had with her husband. Mm hmm. Nell's fingers closed around the brass rail of the bed. Now she would ask her, How come you did it, Sula? There was a silence, but Nell felt no obligation to fill it. Sula stirred a little under the covers. She looked bored as she sucked her teeth. Well, there was this space in front of me, behind me, in my head, some space, and Jude filled it up. That's all. He just filled up the space. You mean... You didn't even love him? The feel of the brass was in Nell's mouth. It wasn't even loving him? Sula looked toward the boarded up window again. Her eyes fluttered as if she was about to fall off into sleep. But Nell held her stomach in. But what about me? What What about me? Why didn't you think about me? Didn't I count? I never hurt you. What did you take him for if you didn't love him? And why didn't you think about me? And then, I was good to you, Sula. Why, why don't that matter? 
Sula turned her head away from the boarded window. Her voice was quiet and the stemmed rose over her eye was very dark. It matters, Nell, but only to you, not to anybody else. Being good to somebody is just like being mean to somebody. Risky. You don't get nothing for it. Nell took her hands from the brass railing. She was annoyed with herself. Finally, when she had gotten the nerve to ask the question, the right question, it made no difference. Sula couldn't give her a sensible answer because she didn't know. Would be, in fact, the last to know. Talking to her about right and wrong was like talking to the Deweys. She picked at the fringe on Sula's bedspread and said softly, We were friends. Oh yeah, good friends, Sula said. So while Sula admits her part in the matter, she doesn't apologize. She doesn't really take any responsibility um, for she takes no responsibility for Judd leaving her. She's like, I mean, the man left Mm -hmm. Jude. Sorry. Yeah. Jude left. I mean, you were married to this man and he left you. I don't have anything to do with that. I don't think Nell appreciates that at all. She doesn't see that for what it is at this point. So we can talk about this soon, but uh, Nell is lying to herself about why that situation broke her the way it did. Mm -hmm. Sula feels like when we were growing up, we would compare how boys kissed. When we grew up, we would um, share everything. And to me, it's the same. It was a shock to know that this is when the sharing stopped. I thought if he was your husband. You know, he the friend's husband, too. (laughs) So why are you being, why did you, why do you think he belonged to you? And why were you keeping him from me? And it's not even about him. It's like, why in this one matter did you decide we weren't the same person? Yeah. That, that was, wow. And so Nell is insistent that, but you didn't think about me. You didn't think about, you know, what you do to my family, to my children. But that's not really that she, Nell's not being 100 percent with herself about why she's upset. Sula finally asked before Nell leaves, how do you know you were the good one? She's um, but it leaves her with something to think about, because, of course, she thinks she is kind of one. Yeah, the good one in this scenario. The community kind of goes. They don't necessarily go to her funeral, but they want to make sure she's dead. And once they know that she's dead, it's interesting how they feel like everything starts to improve now. But really it doesn't improve because things start to happen. Like um, the woman whose son, who wasn't taking care of her son that tripped in front of Sula, she now starts to beat her son because he wasn't eating properly because he didn't want to eat food. So a lot of things are happening now, kind of this. So now the moms are back to neglecting their kids. Their husbands. Now the wives are back to neglecting their husbands and husbands neglecting their wives. They don't have the scapegoat anymore. So they're all sinking back into their own terrible side, yeah. their own evilness. And now then goes to see Eva. Um, but Eva accuses her of actually killing, being the one that killed Chicken Little. And Chicken Little was the boy that drowned in the river. Yeah. but So uh, Eva goes, why did you kill that boy? And Nell's like, no, I'm not Sula. I'm Nell. And yeah. how do you even know about that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was interesting. But now blames it all entirely on Sula. Still not accepting any responsibility for that. But Eva reminds her that she actually watched and that her and Sula were really the same. Uh, Nell admits to herself that she does share a guilt. She finally admits to herself that she does share guilt and remembers feeling thrill when the boy slipped from Sula's hand. And when no, 
when Nell goes to the cemetery to where the Peace family is kind of buried, I think she runs into Shadrach here and he's trying to recall where he knows her from. And this is where she kind of yells out Sula. And then I think all her motions kind of come down on her and kind of she realizes that she was truly her friend. Let's take a break. Okay. Yes. Kari. Yes. So what's your final thought? I know you've read it before, but I want to hear your final thought and whether or not you'd recommend this book. Um, I loved in this book how you can really get in your freshman English bag. No, not me. <laughs> okay. And um, dissect what each character represents and what they um, represent in not just the characters' lives, but then in your life personally today. Ooh. I love that. So there's a point in the book where, to me, Nell really represents um, permanency, tradition, and that sort of comfortable life. And Sula is just death. So wherever she is, death follows, whether it's her mom or Chicken Little being drowned by her hands. And when Shadrach says to her always, when he says that one word to her, mm-hmm. I feel I felt like he was telling her he saw in her someone who had seen death up close like he had in a personal way. And so he was trying to tell her that it will always be with you. But in reality, in the end of the book, we see that he was trying to comfort her and tell her that he t- he said always to reassure her of the um, presence of permanence, permanence, which is something that Sula runs from all her life or she says she is. But really, I think she's looking for it somewhere. Mm. And the only place she had permanence was with Nell. But when they had their rift um, and their friendship ended, there was no more permanence in her life. She thought she'd find it with Ajax, but she didn't even know his name. And when she died, um, her first uh, thought as she was dying was it didn't even hurt. Wait till I tell Nell. Oh, so, that part right there. I found a little touching. Yeah. Mm hmm. So she she had never killed Nell in her heart, th- that friendship. And who um, Sula is like um, a sociopath. She's a psychopath. <laughs> I mean, she is. She is. She doesn't feel emotion. No lies told there. She Yeah, she is very um, apathetic, cold. And any interaction she has with men is for the pain of it because she wants to feel something. She was entertained by her mom burning to death in the same way that Nell is entertained by chicken little drowning. There is no, I mean what they did, some of the things Nell did was good. And some of the things Sula did were bad things to do. But as people, they are just as good and just as bad, which is what Eva said, which is what Sula's grandmother was saying. You're the same. And Nell, when she's confronting Sula about, um, betting her husband what has hung with her since that happened was that this chasm is now there's now a chasm between her and Sula's relationship she no doubt misses her husband they were affectionate with each other intimate playful but he was such a selfish man and wanted from her he wanted um, Nell to fill all the holes that um, society had put in his manhood exactly oh but he didn't see her and love her. She was just there for him. Which is a reason why uh, Sula refused to accept responsibility for breaking up their marriage. Yeah, he was half of a man anyway, so I'm not going to take responsibility for it. And we shared everything. Why couldn't we share this? 
This is just, you know, intimacy. What is the big deal? That's how Sula sees it. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So no doubt now misses her husband and for her children. She resents Sula because now without a husband, she has this sick attachment that she recognizes to her children where she's sleeping in their bed, not just to comfort them, but to comfort herself. Mm -hmm. She's like nothing without her children. And she hates that. It seems to me that if this was a different woman that her husband had committed infidelity with, it at least would have Nell would have been able to hold it together if she still had Sula. But the fact that it was with Sula and she lost both her husband and Sula was something she couldn't come back from. And in the end, like you brought out, she's crying in the middle of the street, not screaming Jude's name, but screaming Sula's name. That was the relationship that defined her. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was I mean, could they have stayed friends after that? I think it just depends. It depends. Because Sula would have definitely definitely. done it again. (laughs) She didn't. She she is a bit of a psychopath in her uh, inability to um, connect with people. But she emotional connected with now. And that was the only person in her world. And she resented the fact that Nell saw herself as so holy and mighty and above her. But everything Sula did was nothing Sula in Sula's mind. Nothing Sula did made her low. Yeah, because she said, what makes you think that you're the the good good one? one. I think Sula in her mind maybe did the best with what she had, Mm -hmm. just like Nell did. So it it wasn't fair to look at her as like the bad one. Um, Oh, a better ending. (laughs) <laughs> if I can be so audacious, please, would be Shadrack passing Nell on the street, trying to remember where he knew her from and then thinking, oh, yeah, she's the one that drowned Chicken Little. <laughs> like, oh, it was Nell all Ooh. along. But I mean, Tony knew what she was doing. Yeah, I'm not going to like, OK, so you can't fix her work. Final verdict. Yeah, read this book. It's 170 pages. What's wrong with you? Now, there is some um, sexuality in it. So I wouldn't recommend it to some people, um, but it doesn't dwell there. It doesn't live there. No. And I truly love the writing in this book. The story told is, uh, oh boy, it's oh boy. Okay. What about you? Uh, <laughs> what's your final verdict? Would you recommend this book? What do you think? Okay. So first read through, I couldn't embrace it. I got to say, <gasps> I couldn't embrace it. But as I was trying to write my a deep dive, I got you more read this book and didn't embrace it. Yeah, I think oh, it was hard so for me. There were so yeah, many yeah. themes in there. I ask myself, am I so uncomfortable with this is because some of the themes resonate with me? Or I'm is not it just sure. too rich. Or is it or is that the answer? Mm-hmm. But yeah. So as I was doing my uh, research and trying to develop my deep dive, I got a little closer to it and I could see it a little different. I got an explanation for some of the themes in the story, the mother daughter relationship, the good versus evil. All those things allow me to say to myself, you should read that again because I think you're missing something. Yeah. Oh, I I love that. Yes. Please read it again. I could tell even from your reading or from your deep dive that you weren't like swimming in this book. You put a toe in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want you swimming in this pool. I want to see what you think and like get like annoying about it. I want to hear you say, yeah, like this character represents that or this represents that. 
<laughs> so that listeners can roll their eyes at both of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. So and I, not just me. <laughs> I need them to do it more to you and not me. I mean, I already have issues. <laughs> okay, so I'm just okay. kind of growing with this. Okay. But yeah, that was my initial th- thought. And so that my initial thought, my kind of final on that. And um, I would read it again so I can get into the depth that the book has. Yeah. Cool. And would you recommend it? Yeah, I would recommend it. Okay, cool. As a great literary work. Okay. (laughs) All right, readers, that's it. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. What are we reading next week? Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. That's right. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, this book is on um, some book club lists. It's been talked about. So I'm excited to talk about a book that is very current, very now. Um, Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Sonaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We love you. <laughs> if you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Until next time, read so